Good morning. Welcome to Mission View. So glad you're here this morning. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first uh, Sunday with us, so glad you joined us. Welcome to our online audience as well. Well, we are on in the second week of Advent. I love this time of year. I'm one of those weird guys, I guess, that loves the snow and all that other stuff, the beautiful white snow. It always reminds me of the, the hymn that we sing, He Washes Us White of Snow. But anyways, I love this time of year. And then Christmas too. I love getting gifts for the kids and seeing their faces on Christmas morning. Just an amazing time. I love that. My kids are a little older though. Um, just a warning to all of you out there with younger kids. Once your kids hit about 17, 18 years old, uh, you'll be up before they are, and you'll have to drag them out of bed um, to come down for the gifts. But when they're younger, they're up, what, like three, four in the morning, they're ready for Christmas, ready to go. So, But anyways, really enjoy the Christmas season. But most of all, what I enjoy about it is this time of Advent. Advent is a time we just take, it's like the four weeks before Christmas Eve, the four Sundays, and then Christmas Eve, where we take time to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ's coming. And this year, what we've decided to do for Advent is kind of look into uh, what it really means that Christ came for us. The implications of, of Christ incarnate, this, this love of God in Christ, and, and the different implications of that. Last week, we talked about the hope that Christ brought the hope that we have in Christ, and really that Christ is our only hope. He is our only hope. He's the only hope for the world. This week, we're going to talk about the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ. So I'm really excited about today's sermon. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of 1 John. If you're new to your Bible, that's going to be towards the end, towards the end of your Bible, but the book of 1 John. Um, but as you're turning there, just a couple of reminders. We uh, relaunched Project, Project Basecamp two weeks ago. Uh, just if you don't know what Project Basecamp is, it is our um, program we're running to pay for the renovations of the building we purchased uh, this year. So uh, Project Basecamp, we're, we're doing that. There's some cards actually that we had made up, Project Basecamp. You can pick these up at the uh, 3D rendering, the walkthrough on the TV screen in the lobby. And what these are, these are the commitment cards. If you, haven't, if you don't have one already, you can grab one of these. It's a, the campaign is a three-year campaign that we're working through. And this is a little card to help you guide you through um, how to figure all that out. But it's a three-year campaign. We're looking to raise the money to pay for the renovations of our new church home. So really exciting. Grab one of these on your way out. And watch the 3D rendering walkthrough, too. Really cool. You can see the first floor. It'll go into the auditorium. You see the chairs, the balcony, and it goes up to the second floor and shows you some of the kids' rooms, but it's a pretty cool thing that we have out there too. So, um, all right, let's jump into this. Let's uh, pray before we read God's word this morning here in 1 John chapter 4. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and, and Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing time of year where we can really focus our hearts and our minds around the gift that you gave us in your son, Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that he made to, to, to leave heaven and, and put on flesh to become the God-man and, and give his life eventually for us. So, Father, as we take this time, we pray that you would move on our hearts, that you would change us and grow us, deepen our understanding today of what your love is. Give us a, a greater understanding of, of Jesus, your son, what he did while he was here, what he does now for us as he sits at your right hand Father, we give you this time. Change us, grow us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right. First John 4, I'm going to start in, in verse 7 here, just a short text. It's, I'm going to go to verse 12. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. I love that section right there. God's love made manifest in his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God's, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. All right, God's word for us today. Now, uh, as we jump around in this Advent series to different texts, I want to give you a little back, background on 1 John. 1 John was written so that we would know so that we would know that we are saved. So as we look into the book of 1 John, we have to come at it from the aspect or viewpoint that John is really trying to um, convey to us that we are saved, that God's work has been accomplished and, and that God is doing these things in and through us. So he starts talking in, about things that we do and things that God has done and it's God's working through us. And these are an affirmation of our faith. A lot of times people will go to the book of 1 John and, and they'll, they'll, they'll read through it and they'll be like, man, uh, am I saved? And that's kind of the exact opposite idea of what John was going for. John was writing this so that we would know, that we would be assured of our faith. Now, the, the hard part about reading through 1 John, and I know we're just in a small section, but one of the hard things about reading through 1 John is that we don't always live up to the standard, do we? It's hard. You know, living out the Christian life and following the Lord, especially in a fallen world and with our sinful nature that is battling, it's at war with the Spirit of God that's in us. I mean, it's difficult because we fall short. As we read through the book of 1 John, it is to remind us that God has accomplished a great work through Jesus Christ, and He is and will accomplish His great work through you and me. So that's kind of why this book was written. And, and as we look at this, this is, this is John, this is God through John affirming our faith in what he's doing. So the first thing I want to pull out is in that first verse that we read. It really simply says, Beloved, let us love one another. Sounds easy enough, right? He says, we need to love one another. This first fill in in your notes. We are to love one another. Man, that just, it just makes sense, right? That we should just love each other. And it sounds really easy. I mean, all right, sermon's over, let's go. We can just do that, right? But why don't we, right? I don't know if you've noticed or not, but it seems like in the church, we have a, a tendency to really uh, be hard on one another. Not so loving all the time. But then, then you get outside of the church and you, and you say, okay, what does, it, what does life look like as we're living in relationship with one another? Why is there so much strife? Why is there quarrels among us, right? That's what it says in James. I, if we think about this, 
I mean, at its most basic point, I mean, it would be husbands and wives, that we would love one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, but how much more so should we as husbands and wives, Christian husband and wives? But then we see struggles in that relationship too. Just love each other. Just get along. Just be kind. I remember that old song that said, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. But what is love? If we're really going to dive into this, what is love in the biblical sense? Is it some feeling, an emotion, or a warmth in our hearts? I mean, that's what the great theologians, the Beatles, would have had you believe. Or every rom-com that you can watch since the inception of television. Or maybe, maybe it's just some chemical reaction that happens as neurons fire in parts of our brains. I mean, that's what scientists would say or have us believe that love is. The Bible says it is something so much more than just those things. Love is something greater, something deeper, something more difficult. We, we find a beautiful and holistic description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Turn there with me, if you will, just for a second. I want to really wrap our minds around God's definition of love. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love? What a statement. All of these things, like patience and humility, or not envying or boasting, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things. I read that and I think to myself, really, really? Enduring all things? I mean, all things. Like the lies or betrayal. Or the cruel words. Really? I mean, we could work a sermon out of, I mean, almost all of these words that, that are listed to describe and define biblical God, God's love. 
But what I want to point out in 1 Corinthians, this biblical definition of love, isn't what's actually listed. I want to talk about what's not listed. Check this out. There's, there's no mention of warm fuzzies. There's no knight in shining armor. There's, there's no woman of my dreams listed. There's no happily ever after. It's all things that, that require time and investment and sacrifice. Who in here prays for patience every morning? Patience every morning. Anybody? Anyone? Anyone? That's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, that's one of those prayers that I avoid. It's in the very back of my prayer journal. It's not in the first page, right? I mean, patience is difficult. It's hard. Bearing all things. Maybe the long-suffering. Man, I, I struggle with those kinds of things. I struggle with the things that take great sacrifice. And all of those things listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 are those things. I think to myself, how can I do this? Who can, do, who can bear all things? Who can endure all things? Who hopes in all things? But right therein lies the problem. What we find in 1 Corinthians 13 isn't just a, a biblical definition of love. It's the description of someone God can and does these things every day for you and me. And he does these things through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. He grows us in patience. He grows us in kindness. He grows us in endurance and hope and belief. This, this, is, this is God's love for you and me. And this is where it gets really good. In 1 John, let's go to verse 9. It says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation don't you just love those big Bible words that you never hear anywhere else, but when you're reading through like the Bible or the King James Version or something, right? Propitiation. Say that with me. Propitiation. All right? What a, what a great word. Here's what that means. The action of propitiation is an action of appeasing something, a sin offering, or our means of forgiveness. It's a good word, isn't it? Propitiation is a really good word. Who, who really likes forgiveness? I don't know about you, but I am so thankful for forgiveness. We find forgiveness for our sins in the eyes of a just and perfect God through Christ. That's what propitiation means. Awesome stuff, right? As son, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Get that. God loved us first, so we ought to love one another. Second felony notes is this. We can truly love, we can truly love one another because God first loved us. Now, if you've been around Mission View for a while, you know that our purpose is simply said to love God 
and to love others. You hear that all the time. That is, that is our purpose. That's why God's put us. We are going to love God and love others. Now, we put that in that order on purpose because of this verse and many other verses. Because it's not that we have loved God. The big deal is that God would love people like you and me. That's the real amazing thing. That God loves us. Now, in that revelation... That God reveals his love to a broken and sinful people like you and me. In that revelation, God begins to do this amazing work in our hearts and and starts to change us. He starts to change the way we view things. He shifts our paradigm completely. And things that look to be black and gray turn different colors. And things that we thought were true and right, we find real truth and and real light, and real life, things that we used to find energy from and and really find joy in, begins to shift and change. God changes us from the very inside out. What an amazing thing. But that's, that's kind of the big change that has to happen. You see, God loves us way too much to leave us the way we are. And so by his grace, he begins to shift those things. And those things can be painful. It's hard. It's hard to to go, you know, before Christ. You know, maybe maybe we were doing things or acting out in different ways that, that just became habits to us. And all of a sudden, as God begins to change us, or the big Bible word for that one is sanctify when God begins to sanctify us or change us by the power of his spirit, there's this, this shift that goes on. And, and maybe what we recognize is that some of our, the people we hang out with have to change. We, we don't have so much in common that we used to. The things that we used to like, man, we just don't like them as much anymore. And the things that we used to do that were, were fun and, and we got a lot of energy from, those, those things don't feel the same anymore. Biblical love, true love, always goes hand in hand with sacrifice. For God, I, I think of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that, that what? He gave. He gave his only son. We need a fresh revelation of God's love on display through the work of Jesus Christ. Do you know that God loves you? Do you really know that God loves you? Not, that, not just the saying, not just the statement, not just the memory verses, not just those things, but is, is there a personalized realization that God loves you specifically, personally? There's the idea of God's love 
There's the idea of, of him sending his only son to live the perfect life that we can't live and die the sinner's death that we deserve and rise from the grave the third day, defeating sin and death. And there's the knowledge of that. But that knowledge has to make it from here to here. That it wasn't just some historical time or thing that happened, but it was a personal act for you specifically, for me specifically. That it was Christ that died for the sins of the world, but it was Christ that died for Matt's sin. Me. That he loved, he loved me so much, that he loved you so much, that he would endure all things that he would bear all things. And even as we were his enemy, he would hope all things for you and me. The love of God has to go from some theological idea to a personal understanding. It has to make the, the longest journey ever from head to heart. How, how, how do we get there? How do we, how do we, how do we understand God's love in this kind of way? It takes God to love God. What that statement basically means is this, is that we, we are 100% completely dependent on God to do some supernatural work. We are completely reliant on God to do this supernatural work that he would, he would take, take away the blindfold, that he would show us, and sh that he would show up and show us who he is and what he's done. It, because we can become so accustomed to this, this idea, this theology of God's love, that it just becomes passe, that we can just, oh yes, God loves you, and totally forget that he gave everything for us, that he sacrificed everything for us, or that he sacrificed everything personally for me, that it was me. It was your face he saw before he went to the cross. It was my face he saw. That's the love of God revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So do you know that God loves you? Such a simple question, but such a deep question. Because the answer to that question is, of course, yes. Yes. But the reality behind the question and behind the yes is that there's, there's a part of us that doesn't believe he loves us. Because there's parts of us that, that don't follow his word, that don't, they don't obey him. And if I, I truly believe that this perfect and all-powerful God loved me, I, I would never disobey him, Right? Because our, what we believe determines what we do. So every time I, I choose something that goes against his word, every time I, I tell a little white lie, every time I eat too much cheesecake or ice cream, where he's saying, no, 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 Matt, this is what's good for you. 
and I choose this over here instead. I'm actually living out a disbelief in his love for me. It's kind of a trick question. Do you know that he loves you? Yes, you know. But here's the reality, church. Mission View, we got to get this. We need to know more. We need to know more of his love. We need to know that we are desperate. We are desperate for more revelation of who he is, the depth and the breadth, the width, the greatness of God's love on display. We have to, we have to search after it. We have to run after it. And we have to dive into God's word. And, and we, as we come to church and we fellowship with one another, that we worship God with all of our hearts, all that we are, and that we leave nothing behind, that we are passionate followers of Jesus Christ, that he he would reveal himself to us. So the real question would be things like this. Are you, are you excited and desperate to come and worship him? Are you excited? I mean, when you get up in the morning, are you, are you looking forward to the cup of coffee? Are you looking forward to opening this book and, and finding out more about him and meeting with your creator? I mean, I love Starbucks, right? It's great to look forward to in the morning. White mocha, every, you know? This is better. This is better. He is better. Jesus came to reveal love so that we can truly love. Love is giving your life away, giving up your rights, your comfort, your desires, your dreams, your everything. And as we run after Jesus and we passionately follow him and grow in our relationship with him by the power of his spirit, he begins to, to change our desires, to change our dreams and change everything about us. What an amazing gift. What an opportunity we have. What a grace of God. Now let's just take a minute, let's just take a minute and think about what God has done in your life. Think about where you were three years ago. I just think about where I was three years ago, it's 2020, 2017, where were you? Christmas 2017. Now I'm not saying where geographically, I'm talking spiritually. Where were you? What has God done in your life? Maybe it's five years ago, maybe it's 10 years ago. What has God done in your life? What are the truths that he has revealed to you? Maybe he's even deepened your understanding of his grace and his mercy. Maybe he's deepened your understanding of sin and, and how he, he works in our lives to change us. That is the work of God we are dependent on. And the last thing I want us to look at is in verse 12. Verse 12, it says this, no one has ever seen God. I'll stop there real quick because as you read, as I read through the text today, there was something that really stood out to me. I think you're just going through this text, this God sent his son, he's a propitiation for our sin and makes all this sense. And then just there's this, there's this statement and I'm like, why is this in here? No one has ever seen God. And you're just like, what? Okay. I got that, okay. And then he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 
okay, so there's a, there's a ton of stuff we could miss if we just glance over this. So, so let's get into this. My third point is this. When the Holy Spirit empowers us to sacrificially love one another, God's love is on display for the world to see. And I get that point out of verse 12. Because if we look back at the original languages and what's being said here, here's what we get. The key to this is this word perfected in the statement that no one has ever seen God. So the, the word perfected or the Greek word teleo, it means, it doesn't mean perfect, perfected in perfection. It means completed, accomplished, or carried out. So, so as we love one another, God's love is completed or accomplished or consecrated or on display in our lives. So we, can, we could read the text this way, and it gives us a real clarity. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is on display or complete or carried out in and through us. God uses us to show the world his great love. And he wants the world to look at the church, to look at Christians and see and experience and understand in a better way his love. So it's, it's us. It's us as we sacrifice and endure and, and God works in us and changes us and grows us in relationship with one another as we forgive one another, his love is on display for everyone to witness and see. What, what an amazing thing. So we should, we should be like the first ones who would, would lay down our lives for others to sacrifice the things we like, our, our wants and desires for one another, for each other. Beloved, love one another another. It's our marriages that should model for the world the genuine sacrifice and selflessness that is given by God through the power of his spirit in us. It's our friendships that should be a reflection of Christ-like sacrifice and grace, forgiveness and kindness and restoration. The world should look in on the church and see a people so changed, so changed by the forgiveness we have found in Christ that our relationships are filled with patience, kindness, forgiveness, truth, generosity, true biblical love. I want to share with you a story um, about a guy named Hosea. And uh, this, I'm just going to say, this, this guy had it rough, man, like... He was a prophet in the Old Testament, and God comes to him, shares a word with him, and I'll just get us started in the text here, and it's, it's in verse 2 of Hosea, chapter 1. It says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Okay, that's how the book starts. So Hosea has it really, really rough. Could you imagine that? You're a prophet of the Lord, and that's your marching orders. But Hosea loved the Lord. And, and God says in his word, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. 
And Hosea obeyed him. So he went and he, he took a wife named Gomer. And they had some kids. And Gomer cheats on him. And she goes back to her old life. And she's a prostitute. And she has men that oversee that. And the Lord tells Hosea, go and take back Gomer. So he goes. And this, this time, though, he has to buy her back. And he pays the price. And he buys her back and makes the sacrifice. And you look at this, it, you, I mean, if you just read Hosea and you see how God sets this up, you're like going, why? Why in the world? Who gives somebody those marching orders? What in the world? That doesn't make any sense at all. Until we look at the bigger picture of what God's trying to convey to us. God's painting the picture of his love for his people, his chosen people. And we read that story and we get, a tr we get to see a picture of the gospel. We're not Hosea in the story, church. We're Gomer. And every time we make choices that go against God's word, we know that Christ made the sacrifice for you and me. And this is God's love. Not that we have loved him, but he has loved us. You want to know what love is? You want to know what, what real biblical love is? Stop, stop equating it to these silly, silly videos and movies and different things and find true biblical love in Christ who gave his life for you and me. Even though he knew, even though he knew I would choose sinful things and struggle and limp my way to heaven. That's love. Now, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the love of God, in just a few short weeks, we'll celebrate Jesus' birth. That love came down to earth in the form of a baby, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus' love for you and me, never ends. He is faithful to his promise to the end. His love for you is not dependent on your perfection, your achievements, but is based on his perfection and his achievement. He is long-suffering, gracious, and merciful. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the means of forgiveness for our sins. This Christmas, we celebrate the love of God made manifest in Jesus. His life, his words, his sacrifice are God's love made manifest to us. And I pray as we prepare our hearts that it inspires our love for one another. Loving God, loving others. May God reveal the depths of his great love to you and me more and more this Advent season for his glory 
and for our good. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that's made manifest in Jesus Christ. And God, so as we open up your word and we read through the gospels and we see the life of Christ and the way he interacted with humanity and the the words that he spoke, and as we open up the Old Testament and we see the prophecies about this coming Messiah, this Jesus Christ, and we we see the the pictures of of the gospel, the good news in, in the prophets' lives like Hosea and in the life of Moses, and and so many other people in the Old Testament, God, we want to prepare our hearts to celebrate your coming. And this morning, we recognize your love made manifest in Jesus Christ, that you sent your only son, not just to die for our sins, but to show us, to show us what real love is, your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy, patience, kindness. Lord, we ask for a deeper revelation of your love. Don't let our hearts grow cold, Father. Don't let our hearts become hardened to the greatness of your love and mercy. Change us, Father. We prepare our hearts to celebrate Jesus. And we thank you for your word and your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing our closing song today.